0: to the Her Influence Podcast, calling women to rise in purpose and influence your world with real voices, bold words, and whole hearts. The Her Influence Podcast is created on behalf of Gather Women by Women in Canada for women everywhere to rise in their leadership influence wherever they are planted. And now, here are your hosts, Kathy Ostapchuk, Vanessa Hoyes, and Caitlin Say.
1: Well, hey everyone, welcome back to the Her Influence podcast. I'm so pleased to host this episode of the podcast. I'm Cathy Ostapchuk, lead catalyst of Gather. And just recently, you may have heard, we hosted um, our first ever a seat at the table one day um, conference. And it was um, stacked from beginning to end with Canadian voices, which I love. And it was really for the church in Canada All across the nation, men and women, pastors, leaders, disciples, students, you name it, it was for you. And so whether you live in Canada or not and are listening to this, it was an absolutely incredible day. And I'll tell you why. We started by championing truth. And so we had Jason Ballard and Shayla Visser centering us in the truth, um, coming close to Jesus Christ, listening to his voice first as a leader above all others. And then we went into our second section, uh, challenging inequity, and we talked about gender inequity, race inequity, and inequity of class. And then we ended with how do we change our nation and change our world. So we really wanted to go back to this challenging inequity piece because we have been talking so much about black racism in our society and in our churches. And so this conversation was designed just to get some more information about it, lean in, hear from real life experiences, uh, particularly women that um, have a history of experiencing what it's like to be discriminated again against because of color. And so we're so excited to have you listen. This was a panel discussion, panel discussion from a seat at the table. And honestly, um, I think you'll learn a lot by listening. I think you'll be deeply moved as I was just being part of it. Uh, Each of these women come with not only experience, but a lot of credibility in their fields. And I think when you hear them speak, you'll not only learn, but hopefully you'll be mobilized to action as you respond. I wanted to also uh, just express our gratitude to Compassion Canada for coming alongside us for season four of the Her Influence podcast and partnering with us. You know, they have an incredible Love is Rising campaign going on. And during COVID, their clients, the people that they support, the people that they make lives better for through your generosity are really suffering. And so this would be the time if you're going to support any ministry agency doing amazing work globally, compassion should be in your top 3 at least and also their gift giving uh, catalog is out so you can go shopping and this is the best time to do it go shopping through uh, go to compassioncanada.ca um, and find out what you can do to support the work that they're doing A little bit about these girls, you have uh, heard of them before across the gather airwaves. Aquia Carmichael is a wife, mother, lawyer, author, and teacher, and she's a senior associate at Dale and Lessman, and she practices estate law. She's got a Bachelor of Laws degree and um, a Juris Doctor from the University of Detroit. Equia was called to the Ontario Bar in 2006, and she's also an author of My Life Print, an estate planning manual and workbook. And You Are Priceless, a 31-day women's devotional journal. She also happens to be a board member of Gather, and we're so honoured to have her. And you can find her at Equia Carmichael. Of course, Cheryl Nemhart is not new to any of you if you're listening and have tracked with Gather. She's been on our platform several times. She is a dynamic international speaker, author, podcast, TV host, and social justice advocate. And what doesn't she do? She also uses her artistic talents in film and theater. And she really goes right full on and tackles some of the toughest societal topics. And so she um, she works with at-risk youth, former gang members, sexual assault victims, and teenage mothers, and she does all of those things. And so in this recent wave of Black Lives Matter conversations, um, she has been at the forefront and her voice has been loud in, and also full of grace. And she's just asking us to be allies. And so you'll hear from her hollywood of course is no stranger to the gather platform she's nakoda cree and a member of carry the kettle band first nation located on treaty four territory in saskatchewan she's a mother to four beautiful children and kokum to four grandchildren and as a foster parent she has many many children who call her mom she's a ceo and owner of the global company converging pathways and if you are looking for her on social you can find her at converging pathways and just recently she's taken on a new role um, with the government of saskatchewan she is senior indigenous advisor in the deputy minister's office ministry of agriculture and she sits on a lot of board of governors across the nation and she works in reconciliation but also works in spreading the message of truth Um, especially you'll hear her on this panel And Maggie John, of course, um, you've seen her probably uh, most frequently on TV. She's a national producer, field reporter, and she's been a TV host for more than 15 years. So uh, formally, she was on Huntley Street, um, and she's covered a vast array of local, national, and international stories, uh, including the 9-11 terrorist attack, Hurricane Katrina, and... The earthquake that rocked Haiti in 2010. So, as former host on the longest-running Canadian daily talk show, Hundred Huntley Street, Maggie interviewed so many guests from all walks of life, and she is great at that. And she now is the host um, of Context. So we have a full house in the room today, and I want you to lean into this panel recording from a seat at the table as we discuss race inequity have a good listen welcome everyone to this panel discussion a seat at the table challenging race inequity you've heard everyone's point of view that are represented on this screen and we just wanted to follow up and dig in a little bit deeper to the truths that they have shared with us it's such an honor to welcome Collie Wood to us from coming from Saskatchewan, Aquia Carmichael coming from Toronto, Maggie John, West Toronto, Oakville, Burlington, and Cheryl from Toronto as well. We're so honored to have you here with us today. So I wanted to start off with a question for all of you. In recent years, it has come to our attention (laughs) that things are not okay. (laughs) Things are not okay in terms of how we have been treating each other, how we have been making space for each other, not only in the church, but in the world, in our nation. And Indigenous matters of huge significance have been coming to the surface for many years now and been in the news, and we've been forced to take a look. And more recently, the issue of Black racism has come right to hit us in the face, and we are forced to take a look at that as well. And this is a good thing. So my question to all of you is, does the time of these issues coming from below the surface into our sight line, has that made things change at all for you? And have things have, if things have changed, is it enough? And Kali, I'll start with you.
2: Mm. Thanks, Kathy. Um, You know, I look at uh, our history here uh, in what is now Canada and uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, their final, you know, they're after talking to our residential school survivors across Canada in seven different cities and coming up with the Truth and Reconciliation calls to action. The 94 calls to action has... Really, what highlighted to the whole country that we need to start looking at what are actions going forward to change the next seven generations. And so, uh, you know, when you talked about um, your injustice pertaining to your lived experience, I mean, if you look past in, in our past and in our history of the seven generations, this has been ongoing for you know, the the Indian Act and and those different things that and those policies that put. That have been put in place, uh, particularly for our First Nations that are on reserves. So, has it changed? Um, you know, I do believe that since 2015, since the calls to action were, were released, um, lots of education going on across countries and organizations, in churches, in communities. Uh, people, the mindset is shifting. You know, uh, governments are adopting calls to action, uh, they're implementing. Change within their policies and with programs, and and language is changing in schools. or teaching more about what is the true history of Canada, you know. And so, I do see. I'm, I'm encouraged by what is happening, um, but we have a long ways to go. There's a lot of a lot of issues, particularly, you know, just even in this past month, what I talked about in my five minute video. There, there's a lot of things that we have to address, and. I always go back and reference our medicine wheel since the beginning of time. You know, it's that it's that we're all one. It's namuyut. We're all one, and you know, the black and yellow, red and white, and bringing humanity into one circle is really an important important value from the First Nation culture. And I, I like I said, I'm encouraged, but we have a long ways to go. So has it been enough? Uh, I I would say we're on a good start, we're starting the foundation, the platform of it, but we have a long ways to go. In the last month of, you know, some of the events that have happened in, in, across this country show that. So so that's where I would come from, from a First Nation lens. I appreciate
1: that. Kauia, what about you? What do you think?
2: So uh,
3: this, this term anti-Black systemic racism is, is new for me, in, not in terms of, ex, of a lived experience, but in terms of just the the concept, the term itself, and so um, in terms of what's changed, I would say, just you know what's happening here today and what's happening around the country right now, um, and not just in our country but around the world, discussions around um, the issues of anti-black systemic racism and acknowledgement that it's a real thing. When I was uh, growing up, you know, pretty much every I was in every school I was in, I was one of a handful of, of Black students. And, you know, it just, it wasn't a thing, you know? It, w- nobody was talking about it, nobody was considering it. And uh, it wasn't until I went to university that I, I started, you know, hearing more talk about um, issues around uh, racism, um, you know, with, with different people, different communities. Um, and a lot of times it was classified as, you know, kind of a politically correct issue. You know, you talked about race issues from a politically correct standpoint. Whereas today, I think there's a there's a recognition that it's it's not just politically. This is not an issue being politically correct when you recognize that there's inequality uh, for Black people. It, it's not a political issue. It's a human rights issue. It's a it's it's a life issue. And um, I think that's been a very positive thing that we're seeing these issues in a different light than we've seen them before. And we're having discussions that in my lived experience, I I hadn't seen at this level previously. So I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. Um, I would agree with Kali that, um, you know, that there's an incredible amount of work to continue to do. I, you know, always say I liken racism to sin and I shouldn't say I liken it to sin. It is sin and sin never takes a break, right? It doesn't take a week off or a day off or a month off. It, it's with us always. And racism is just a manifestation of sin, another form of sin being manifested in the earth. And so it's, it's going to be with us. It's always going to be with us. It's not going anywhere. Um, and so we will always have work to do. And, uh, you know, the call to all of us is, is just to take up, you know, our position and, and do that work.
1: Wow, you brought up a great point that it, when it stops being political and becomes human, maybe then it becomes real. But also the difference between policymaking and loving people. Uh, could be huge. And so I'm so glad that you brought that to our attention. Cheryl, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Has it changed enough?
4: Um, I feel like this, this whole topic of racial reconciliation and justice, to me, is a, it's a matter of unfinished business. Uh, it, it is something that we have, uh, we are here, which is wonderful. But it is a delayed work. It's this sort of um, forced up against the wall. Now we've got no choice. Okay, cards on the table. And I think before we get to a place of reconciliation, there needs to be a reckoning. And that is, that's sort of the tough sticky parts, if you will, of where we are. That's that's the acknowledging, that is the owning of our place in this narrative of what has taken place. That is a retelling of history. Um, I, I run an educational not-for-profit theater company and my job for the past 10 years has been to go into school systems throughout Ontario to teach anti-black racism and it's a retelling of history i use history to show that that you know for in our context african canadian history is canadian history period and so the retelling and the relearning Of what is actually true and foundational. We need to go there. I think there's been, uh, Aquia so so perfectly said, this sense of denial and sort of like, uh, you know, the the monkey, hand over ears, hand over eyes, hand over mouth, uh, we don't acknowledge. And so the acknowledging is painful, but it's necessary for where we need to go. And the last thing for me is I feel like for the first time, you know, people are likening this moment to the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. It feels like it has the same groundswell, the same traction. It feels global. And, and for the first time in a long time, as a Black woman and an activist, I feel like help has come. I feel like, I feel like my non-Black brothers and sisters are, are shouting in some instances louder than me, clearer than me, that my life matters and that it has meaning and significance. Wow. And so that's very, very exciting. Now, I will put this in lightly because I know, I know my sister Maggie's Reg, got this. Um, but it's, you know, my Blackness is not a trend. Mm. Which means that this 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 doesn't have an expiry date or a a moment that we move on, and this is also for the indigenous lives there's no there's no end to this this and I feel like people are trying to sort of say okay let's <laughs> but it's it, there's no end to this uh you know the, the the fight for justice and equality and reconciliation and i mean it's just been for for both of us as as sisters in the struggle has been you know it, you know, it's 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 been our whole our whole life, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. So,
1: yeah, yeah, I love that. So the reckoning and the retelling has to happen before the reconciliation. Part of that reckoning is all of us on both sides facing the truth. And on the side that has been the monkey <laughs> covering the ears, you know, and covering the mouth, uh, it's our time to to lay all things bare and say, look, yeah, we, there's some things we have to face. I really appreciate that. And Maggie, what about you? What has changed? Has it been enough?
5: Yeah, so I thought it was interesting, even in your question, Kathy, that, you know, to talk about below the surface, and we have, uh, you said, we've been forced to take a look. Again, as Cheryl said, we have, as Black people and as Indigenous people, people of color, have been forced to take a look for many, many years. And so what a part of my frustration is finally, the uh, majority is looking up. And so because they're looking up, now all of a sudden we have this recognition. And so what what needs to change is that when uh, a member of BIPOC says something that we instantly look up and we don't wait for a white person to look up first. And I think when that changes in our community, when that changes in our society, when, as Callie said, we see this as a human issue, that's when I think we're going to get to change. And, and as Zaquia said, you know, sin is sin. And I don't think we're going to see full change until Jesus comes back. Um, so unfortunately um, yeah, I, I, just, I'm a little uh, I struggle with change because I remember asking uh, somebody a question about, about that lives in Minneapolis, knew George Floyd very well. And he said, change looks so different for, for everybody, you know, for For the mother of, you know, somebody who has been killed, be it mob Arbery and the list can go on and still goes on. Will change ever look the same for them as it does for myself or my sisters that are out here? It's always going to look very differently. And so, um, you know, part of that is seeing us for who we are, seeing us as images of God and seeing the collective we. So, you know, if I'm struggling, if I'm calling, I love, Cheryl uses the analogy of the fire all the time. And I love that because we've been screaming out and saying there is a fire, the house is burning and no one has heard our voice because I feel, and I, and I, I'm hesitant to say we haven't been seen as images of God all the time. And we are, and we see ourselves that way. So change will only come, and I speak in a Christian context, when the white church, when the greater church sees us as equivalent as the same as a part of that collective we then i can say i'll i'll be the first one to stand on the mountaintop and say change has come but unfortunately i think the silence is resounding still and and will take a long time to come
1: Right. So, our vision has been so limited because the whole reality has been there the whole time, right within our sight, but we haven't seen it. We've had blinders on. I so appreciate you saying that. I was listening to Miles McPherson, who is a pastor down in San Diego, and he just wrote a book called The Third Option. And he said, We can't say that we don't see color because he said, I want you to see me. I want you to see everything about me. We all want to be seen. And so, we haven't seen enough what has needed to be seen. Thank you so much. I wanted to go back to Cheryl. You made a really great uh, point for allyship. That allyship is more than raising your hand and even saying, I see you, and posting something. (laughs) But it can be very performative, the response to this burning house. How can we move from being performative in our response to actually becoming allies
4: yeah you know that's the struggle right now is that in this moment we it's very difficult to decipher what is authentic uh, traction and performative for the moment and for optics and um, what I think I need to say uh, so that it's heard clearly and loudly is that we as the BIPOC community we can tell the difference Mm We, we can tell the difference between authentic and performative allyship. Um, what we're asking is that you stay uh, with us in this race, in this struggle, in this battle, in this uh, long life commitment to um, raise us and lift us towards the sun where we rightfully belong and not in the trenches, and that, and that you are intentional in your actions, allyship there's a cost to it. Allyship costs something. And it's now more than lip service. We've moved past that. It's time to put skin in the game. And skin in the game looks like yielding space. Skin in the game looks like uh, empowering other people. Skin in the game looks like hiring. Skin in the game looks like um, reconciliation. Skin in the game looks like repentance as a people, as a church, as a nation, like it it looks like different things and, and, and the cost may be great, but that's where we are right now. Um, it, we need people to um, be, go beyond the lifting of the hands and the worshiping and I'm a good church person. Uh, we need to put feet to the pavement. We need to uh, extend our hearts outside of our sleeves and we need to show what it means to love our neighbor. And I think we're still in the, We're still inside, loving our neighbor through the windows, but we need to step outside.
1: Yeah, thank you. Very convicting words, all of you, and I'm appreciating it. I know in sales and marketing, you know, if we're trying to sell something, you can buy in, which means you can always buy your way out. But when you commit and you put skin in the game, you're in it. You're in it. And so I appreciate that you're calling us up to that. And Kali, when I first met you, I mean, obviously the big issue we were talking about when you were on our gather platform several times. We talked about the residential schools and history of the, the Indigenous people, again, not, see, not being seen as equals, even in who owned the land originally. There's so many issues there. But you've mentioned in your point of view that just in this last week, there have been three new indications that we're still not there yet. I mean, it's happening now, the, the continued discrimination. Just speak to that a little bit. I mean, is there one overriding issue or is it, how complicated is it? What is the best way to move forward in understanding?
2: Thanks, Kathy. Um, You know, just further to, to the conversation about getting to reconciliation, I think part of looking at the calls to action is that truth and reconciliation. We cannot have reconciliation without talking about the truth. And sometimes that's a really hard conversation. Uh, you have to, you know, really get comfortable being uncomfortable to have these conversations. And you know, I, I think what's happened in the past month in this country. You know, we we look at Joyce Ashaquan, who who is a you know First Nation lady there that passed away in a hospital, and you know, some of the verbiage that was coming from a nurse and an orderly and you know, very demeaning conversation, and she filmed it just prior to her death. You know, uh, right now, our Mi'kmaq, uh, lobster fisherman on the East Coast. You know, that one really touches my heart because I always look at when you're putting your feet in someone else's shoes, and we, we don't do that enough. And so that was part of my challenge, you know, coming into this panel discussion was for just a moment, when you're listening to those conversations and you're listening you know to all the social media news outlets out there just put yourself in those shoes so the Mi'kmaq I'll use them as an example uh lobster fishermen are there doing you know following their treaty rights that we signed uh you know about the land and about you know them to get a moderate livelihood from fishing and I think for me what was most impactful out of all of this was Chief Mike Sack of the Mi'kmaq and you know his words were and it goes very much to the injustices that we're speaking of is, is, you know, just the, the the people that are doing this and these commercial fishermen that have come forward, this doesn't speak for all of them, but the ones that have done these injustices, these perpetrators, you know, and the actions that they've done has to be brought to justice and we need to act wherever responsible with patience and understanding and in peace and friendship. And that's really what this is about is us coming together and, and, you know, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of, of we, we have to look, we have to listen and we have to learn. And sometimes that being silent and, you know, they always say, speak up, speak up. But there's sometimes we just have to uh, outside, step outside of the box and just look, listen and learn. And I, I think, you know, we, when we go to the biblical sense of that, Jesus, when he went through you know, and, and, and walked the lands, he would go in and I- interact. And I can, you can see him sitting and listening and learning from the people around him. And I think that's what we need to do. And we've lost that. We come in with these strongholds of policy and we come in with strongholds of rules and regulations and we've lost that communication to just love one another, you know, and be kind. And, you know, we've got, he said, she said, they said, we said, and there's no us in it. And I think we need to get back to that. So, you know, I, when we talk about reconciliation, I mean, with, with our, you know, Chris and I's company of converging pathways, that, that's what we do. We bridge that gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. And how do we come together? And I always use, like I said, Chief Dr. Robert Joseph, we are all one. And how do we get to that? So put your, put your feet in, in someone else's shoes when you're, you know, just flip that around and, and how would you feel? Do unto others as you would like done unto you. So that's, that's kind of my comment on that.
1: I appreciate that. It also begs the question, you know, how, how to be silent and when, because there's silence when you're leaning in to understand, but then there's also the kind of silence that makes us silent perpetuators of the issue and so we wrestle with that and we look to you for understanding for that so I appreciate those words so I wanted to ask you a very so a couple of specific questions um, <laughs> the evolution from tokenism to trailblazing to actually amplifying voices in this moment that will make a difference how do we How do we start on that path, Maggie, where we're not just having this conversation when this conversation is done, it's done. You know, I think Cheryl said like, this is not a trend. So what does that pathway look like, Maggie? Can you describe that for us?
5: Yeah, so I think we're seeing a trend now where a lot of organizations are realizing, wait a minute, we don't have diversity in our boardrooms. What do we do? And they are going out and they're hiring us like crazy, which is amazing and great. But how do you move past hiring somebody to say, check, I have a black woman in my boardroom or a black man or or an indigenous person or a brown person in my boardroom to uh, making sure that they are allowed to have their voice amplified and they are given the room to be a trailblazer within your organization so that, you know, when they're sitting around the table, they don't feel like, oh, I've just checked the box and my voice doesn't count. And I think the way you then see that is change within your organization. You see, because, you know, if you're, if you're honest, if you don't have diversity and inclusion in your boardroom, it's one tone. And that means in the voice that you're amplifying outside your four walls. And so you need to be able to then look at yourself objectively and say, are we seeing the fruit of this? Are we seeing fruit in in bringing in inclusion into our organization? Are we actually actually acting on this? So I, I think that's something that. Um you know, for having honest conversations within our church, within the organizations that we belong to. Um, I know for most uh, people who are part of BIPOC, uh, just feel like I don't want to be that token. I don't want to just fill your box and then sit there and not be able to uh, voice my concerns about what's going on And that. And I think that's another aspect to this is that we are seeing a large exodus of black and I can speak specifically to black people leaving media, leaving organizations where they feel like my voice is not being heard. I continue to be behind the camera or behind all of the action and nobody actually wants to hear me. They just want to say that I'm there. And so, um, I just take that seriously, that we need to be able to um, support and create trailblazers who will change the conversation and giving them that latitude and that space to say, your voice is welcome and we want to hear you. We want to hear how we need to be challenged to be more inclusive, to be different, to be able to step into these conversations um, well and educated.
1: That's a, that's a great response. I mean, I think of that Venn diagram where there's inclusion and there's diversity, but in the middle of that, there's belonging, which means that those that you are including actually have been given the opportunity to contribute something that is meaningful. And that belonging is what is not tokenism. That belonging is truly belonging together. And I think that's what you're speaking about. And you, you've said, gee, maybe we need need to measure that. Maybe we need to measure the success of that, the fruit of that, rather than just checking the box.
5: Yeah, I think that's the next step. It's saying, okay, how are we doing in this area? You know, maybe we've been one-toned in, in the way that we've um, accomplished anything. And are, are we diversifying our the way that we're reaching out to people, whatever the business or whatever the entity might be. But if you can actually see fruit from that, because you're now empowering the people within the boardroom to actually act on it, then also you'll also see uh, people more happy to be a part of your organization. You're gonna see uh, members of BIPOC that are, are gonna be proud to be a part of your organization because their voices are counted and they are heard. As Cheryl said, and I think it's so true, we know When we're just fitting, you know, the stereotype, we're just checking a box off, and when we're actually being treated and heard and valued, we want to be valued just like anybody else. We want to be valued. And a part of that is
1: listening, hearing, and then action moving forward. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's amazing. So, Okay, Aquia I mean, I think maybe now we're a little bit more along the path where we can agree somewhat that this is not just racism as a trend. You know, we need to look at it. But systemic racism actually is embedded in the fabric of our nation. We love our nation, but it's it's definitely in our past and it's in our present. So can you speak a little bit about that, to that? Sure. Um, and... and... <laughs> It's interesting to me, I, I, I looked at a, a,
3: a recent poll that was done back in uh, July, uh, and they, um, it was an Ipsos poll, and they asked Canadians, um, you know, do you think systemic racism exists in Canada? And about 60% of Canadians said they did, which is good, but 40% of Canadians um, said no, they don't agree. And, and I, I find it amazing and incredible that, uh there are leaders of our country, politicians, who continue to insist that systemic racism doesn't exist. And before we can move forward, I mean, Cheryl uh, touched on this, we, we need an acknowledgement that we all didn't start at the same place and, and the legacy of, of slavery, of segregation, of discrimination continues with us. Um, you know, I think it's so important. And it's a term that we throw around a lot, you know, systemic racism, systemic racism. And and I've, you know, asked myself, what is it? Like, what is it? What does it look like? Um, and in the research that I've done, what I've, I've um, come to find is that systemic racism is really based on uh, an ideology or a, a, a race theory that one race is superior to another race or to other races. And then that ideology is built in to the systems um, that encompass our lives. So this idea that uh, white people are superior to, to BIPOC people, we see it in education. We see it in um, uh, with the residential schools and all that happened there and the, and the way that, that um, Indigenous people were treated. We see it in healthcare. Again, with this story with um, Joyce, And what's amazing is we've got video of these things happening. I mean, gone are the days when it's just he said, she said, right? And and everybody would say, well, we don't really know what the truth is. We weren't there. But thank God for the cell phone. I keep saying, Jesus, I give you praise for the cell phone. Because with the cell phone comes a camera. And with the camera comes video. And video is now evidence. And we can no longer say that these things aren't happening. And and what's... um, frustrating and concerning to me is when there's video of an indigenous woman being treated in the most inhumane manner not in louisiana or in alabama but in quebec canada quebec not in the united states in quebec and we still have politicians who come out and say well i don't i don't think that our our hospitals are treating people this way when there's video that, that tells us that's exactly what's happening. It, it's, it's, it's so concerning for me. And, and you know, I, I think we need to get to a place where we're honest because, because I think for a lot of people, the, the problem with, especially for our leaders, for some of our leaders, the problem with acknowledging that systemic, systemic racism exists means you now have to do something about it. And I know that's hard for people, And maybe you got to your position of power because the people that put you there don't want to deal with the issues and don't want to talk about it. But it doesn't mean they're not there. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't address them. And that's really where I feel like the church is is so well positioned, you know, to be the conscience of the nation and to insist that we have these discussions. A lot of people say, and and I've I've had lots of discussions with people who don't believe that systemic racism exists. And, you know, I hear things like, well, well, you know, the laws have all changed. You know, we have have great immigration laws. Now we let everybody into the country. Um, You know, everyone has access to every place. The thing that I think people are missing is that the laws provide remedy for people who are at the receiving end of racism. You can use the law to try and get redress for an injury that comes out of racism. The problem is that not all forms of racism will get you to a place where you can go to to the courts for um, some type of relief. And the thing that people don't get is that the laws don't, they provide redress, but they don't change the hearts of people. And ultimately, racism is a heart issue. It is a result of the heart and the laws. Giving everybody access to everything doesn't change the hearts of the people who are the gatekeepers. It doesn't change the hearts of police officers when they're, you know, in at Jane and Finch or in other, you know, quote unquote high risk communities, and they're meeting certain people that they're supposed to be protecting and, and helping. And and they're not doing that. And I'm I'm not saying that the police across the board are are bad or they don't protect, you know, black young youth. I'm not saying any of that, but there are issues. And it's so important that we are willing to acknowledge that these things are here and that we do something about them. And and really my call to the body of Christ, I'm not waiting for the politicians to acknowledge it. I'm, I'm actually looking for my brothers and sisters in Christ to acknowledge it. And and, and I, I had a discussion last week with a former politician who also doesn't believe that, we, uh, that there's systemic racism, doesn't believe in anti-Black racism. And this person is a believer, he's a Christian, but he doesn't believe it. And where do we go as a body if we ourselves can't agree that this is real and it's happening? We, we need that to happen And we need to link arms in in this fight together, because it's not going to to happen if the Black people or the Indigenous people keep saying, hey, there's systemic racism, there's systemic racism. We need the people in power. We need the politicians in power, the people who fight for the rights of the unborn. We need you to also fight for the rights of those that are born and end up on Earth, that they're not being discriminated against, that they also have a good quality of life when they're here. It's not just enough to protect the human life, when it's in the womb, we've got to protect that life when it's on earth and make sure that life gets the greatest quality that it can have and that we can give it as a body.
1: Well spoken, Akwia, thank you. I mean, the conscience (laughs) is where it begins and I can feel my heart burning right now. And I hope that those of you that are listening are experiencing some kind of uh, uh aha or uh uh-oh moment. I know I experienced it when I listened to T.D. Jakes being interviewed on TV and he said that, even when he looks at his phone, it doesn't necessarily recognize his voice, his his face, because it's the, the not the right color it was made for. And our whole society is made for a certain color. And that's mind-blowing to me, because it is systemic. It's a framework, and everything has to tumble down and be laid bare, perhaps before we can get to this reckoning, this retelling, so that we can be reconciled, so that it's just us, not just you and me. So I wanted to uh, move on to close this. I think this is the beginning and the middle of something. I know it's not the end. I want to keep continuing the conversations, one conversation at a time, building mutual respect and deepening our relationships. And I don't know where it will go from here, but I do want to hear a final word from all of you. Something that's been real in your experience, because it is real. And then something that might be a dream for you. And I think of Martin Luther King's, you know, I had a dream and his dream was big and huge and, and wild. And, but without that dream, nothing really can ever change. So I want you to challenge us. I want you to, to be truth tellers to us in this, in this final moment, you know, just share with us A bit of your lived experience and then something that you would say, I have a dream and what that might look like. Kali, I'll start with you.
2: Mm. Uh, You know, I think for me, looking back uh, over my uh, 50 50 years, um, I think for me, I've now come into who I am, but it's taken a long time to get here. Um, I've been a stranger in my own story. Uh, being taken at birth and adopted to non-indigenous family who I love to death um, but you know when you're stripped of your culture and your identity and you know just your your whole core being of who you are and and it, it changes the direction of your life and and it definitely did and i I think I always go back to um, you know in scripture for sure above all else you love. And so everything that we do, I mean, you know, with the work that we do, we've had people approach us right there, you know, and right in, you know, bad, bad conversations that you have to turn around, uh, anytime there's negative posts put on on, so, you know, on social medias is just, it gives you an opportunity to open that doorway to have a conversation, And oftentimes, rather than getting angry and, and re, re, you know, starting that conflict back and forth, I always go back to look and listen and learn because everyone has an opinion of something and we're not going to move the dial forward if we don't listen to one another. And I use, I use, uh, look, listen and learn a lot. I've had an elder who, you know, has done a lot of mentoring with us and we just, you, you just have to take it in. And, and when you're, you know, walking that that life, your journey here on earth, it, it's love one another and be kind. And we're not going to agree with everything that everyone does, you know, but we have to come to an understanding and appreciate one another. And um, I think that's, you know, that that's what I would say. My dream is that, you know, the legacy that, I leave for my children and my grandchildren, those yet not born is that we are making a difference every day, you know, and I, you know, we don't consider what we do as work. Uh, We love what we do and we know, you know, from, from feedback that comes in and from conversations and the people that we meet in our circles, it is making a difference. So every day get engaged in conversations, have conversations around your 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 tables when we talk about equity and diversity and inclusion in your workplaces, get involved in those committees and those conversations. And you know, it, it will it's gonna change. And I'm encouraged by it. You know, I I know the the work that we do and you know, now with my day job working in the government, have Pushing that dial forward to step outside the box and let's look at this differently. Let's look at how we can be more inclusive and be intentional. It's not a checkbox. And you know, those are words we use all the time. And like Cheryl said, we know, we know when you're being asked for something, if it's tokenism or if it is, we really want to hear your voice in our conversation. So, you know, just be kind and 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 get involved in conversations in a good way. So.
1: That's great. Intentional legacy and living from from love. That's what I hear you saying. Great mm-hmm. so right words, Maggie. What about you?
5: Yeah, I'm reading this uh, leadership book called "Canoeing the Mountains: uh, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory." I just started reading it. I don't know if you guys have seen it uh, before. But this struck out at me, and I feel like it applies to so many different things. But it says, the person who takes personal responsibility to live into the new future in a transformative way in relationship to others in the system is the leader. If someone is not functioning as a leader, the system will always default to the status quo. And as I think about that, I'm I'm thinking, like, how do we not default to the status quo? I think we're all saying um, that we're tired of that. You know, we saw the transition in the global dialogue, you know, when George Floyd was murdered in front of our eyes. Why does it have to take video footage for, of someone, somebody being killed in front of our eyes for us to believe it? And so how do we change the status quo so that we listen, as, as Kelly said, listen and learn, but also just listen to people. That when they say that they have faced injustice, that we are listening and going a step further and believing that they don't have to like exorbitantly um, defend and um, try to convince us that they have been harmed. And I think that has been the reality, unfortunately, for so many of us in the BIPOC community. I think as I look at the future and as I dream, I know that as the church, we can do so much better. I know it's in us, we follow, jesus i mean the prince of peace we follow a a god a man who loved and defended people who were on the outskirts of life and so if we truly follow him i know that we have it in us and we can as the church make a difference my pastor always says you know our job is to transform the church first. This is not our home. This earth is not our home. Our job is to transform, and we will probably spend the rest of eternity uh, trying to transform the church while we're here. But how do we do that is by listening to others, by, by saying we're not going to continue to follow the status quo, that we are going to be leaders in this conversation, and we're going to show what redemption, what healing, what reconciliation looks like. And and I know it's possible. Um, it's stepping into hard conversations like we're doing right now, Kathy, and thank you so much for allowing us to sit at this proverbial table, because we need to have more conversations like this. We need to have honest conversations we need to be able to feel safe to lay out our pain knowing that we're doing it in a safe area where our brothers and sisters care that they see us as human beings and they want reconciliation they want to change that environment they want to change that reality and we can't do it alone we can't. We we do need everybody to totally buy in and say we are in this because we believe that we can do better and because we believe in this Jesus that we all follow. So that's, that's my dream. That's my hope. And um, yeah, I think it's achievable if we are focused on Jesus throughout this.
1: Yeah, exactly, and you know, in the pandemic, the church has been laid bare. Where I think we've been challenged to say, "What have women focused on that hasn't really been, you know, what Jesus would be focusing on?" And so, thank you so much for that call to all of us, Cheryl.
4: Uh, I'll be trying to be short and punchy here. Um, one of my one of my favorite quotes is from a, a brilliant mind still with us, Cornell West. And Cornell West said that justice is what love looks like in public. And I feel like for me, I will know it and feel it when it feels like love. When it feels like a, coming from a place of love and acceptance, it'll feel true. It'll feel honest, not ob, not you know, obligatory, not you know, a checking of a box, not uh, in, in dragging, kicking, and screaming. But um, it's a shift in posture. Uh, to the church, I admonish the church that the, our our stance needs to be welcoming. Uh, this conference is called a seat at the table, but here's the truth. If I sit at that table beside you, Kathy, and beside my sister Kali, but I am bleeding from head to toe, I am bruised, I am scarred, I have open wounds, because my journey to the table was filled with hate, filled with abuse, filled with pain, filled with obstacles, and I had to go through war just to sit at that table, it's not a win that I'm at the table. Because how I got to the table was brutal. I was not welcomed in, I had to insert and force my way in. And as a BIPOC community in and out of the church, we constantly feel like we are forcing ourselves into the narrative, into acceptance, into legal systems, into positions that weren't once open for us, into recognition and areas that we were not acknowledged, into history where we were wiped out on both sides. And so it's not a win for the people of God to just have diversity at the table. I want to not feel like a guest in the kingdom of God. Can I say it plain? I don't want to feel like a guest. There's a song that says in my father's house, there's a place for me. I am who God says I am. I'm a child of God. And I pray that every pastor would shift their heart from tolerance and um, duty to a place of celebration and welcoming. Because the truth of the matter is, the church of God will not reach the kingdom of God until we look like the kingdom of God. And leadership, right down, must look like the kingdom of God, or else it is one toned, one sided, one voice, and it is not reflective of God's heart. And I love you, but we gotta speak the truth.
1: Right. I think we've all been to church just right there, Cheryl. So take <laughs> appreciate that truth. appreciate it. And uh, Akia, your final thoughts. Your yeah.
3: Um, so it, in terms of, very quickly, in terms of my lived experience, I, you know, I'm, I'm a child of immigrants. My parents, um, I was born in Ghana. Um, they came to Canada, wanted a better life for their kids. And I, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Ghanaian, but I was raised in, in Toronto, and I've lived in these two worlds um, my whole life, and um, I, you know, sometimes I, I felt like I had to be somebody else to be accepted or, or to feel comfortable in certain spaces. And and you know what? It's happened on both sides, to be really honest with you, on, on both sides of my reality. Um, my heart and my dream is that the church would rise. And the voice we've been given, and I know Gather, you know, champions, the voice of of women across the nation. Um, We're we're stewards, right? God has given us so much. We're stewards of our finances, of our time, of our influence. We're also stewards of our voice. And my heart is that the church would, would understand the power that it has with its voice and rise up. Um, I, I, we're in challenging times. We're in difficult times. We're in times that can be considered very discouraging, but we're also in a time where the church can show its power because we have an opportunity. I think racism, you know, we talked, I've talked about it being a hard issue and I think it's an insecurity issue. I, I think when a person feels like I I need you to be beneath me because when you're beneath me, then I feel strong and I feel powerful and I feel great. What if we as the church told people, when you treat people that way, you dehumanize, not just the person that you're oppressing, but you dehumanize yourself because you're not living to your highest potential when you refuse to treat people the way God intended. For them to be treated and to be loved and we shared that message and we told people as the church listen jesus christ can fill that space and that place of emptiness and insecurity you don't need to treat people that, that like they're less than because in fact when you treat them the way god intended to you're treating yourself the way god intended for you to be loved it's a powerful powerful platform but we won't get there until we as a body can agree that that this is the message that we need to be shouting from the rooftops to every place so that's my heart and my dream is that as a church um, we will come together and understand the power of our voice in this time and use it to fulfill the purpose for which we've actually been put on this earth
1: yes God's original design for us yes male and female Jew and Greek slave and free all created equally in the image of God and and it's not lost on anyone listening and certainly not on me that we are also women in this room and that can carry lots of other layers as well in terms of not being invited to tables and, and outside rooms and so I appreciate everything that all of you carry I honour it, um, and I appreciate that you, for such a time as this, are using your voice. I think I envision all of you, you know, on a street in Toronto, uh, or Regina, or wherever we are, with crowds listening, because you have been given a pulpit and a position right now to speak truth to power, and speak to those that have been blind and not seen what has been in front of them all along so i really want to honor your journeys to here i want to honor your time with us thank you for saying yes to being at this table i pray that anyone listening will find their story and identify perhaps with one of yours and either be um in either be <laughs> compelled to offer some kind of response or to start another conversation about this so that we do not label this as a trend and put it in the box when it's done but we commit to radical changing all of our relationships so i honor you all your sisters your warriors you're amazing thank you so much for being with us at a seat at the table today thank you kathy thank you kathy Kathy. kathy hi hi wow well these conversations aren't easy and oftentimes we find them happening sort of on the fringe in our homes, you know, over coffee, talking with our girlfriends, our guy friends, our circles of influence, and very rarely do they come to the mainstream. And that's part of why we at Gather wanted to host a seat at the table to bring these conversations into the sight of everyone and give them time and space. And we honestly believe this is just the beginning. So I'm not sure what you were sensing, what you were feeling as you listened to these women sharing their experiences of what it's like not only to be of a race that has historically been discriminated against, but also being women (laughs) in that space. There's so much there. And we hope that this is just the beginning of so many more conversations to come. Again, I thank all of our panel guests, Aquia Carmichael, Cheryl Nampard, Collie Wood, Maggie John. And uh, we will keep this conversation going. We would love you to leave us a comment on this podcast at gatherwomen.com. You can find the podcast page. Download it, share it with your friends, and um, we would just love this to get out there because this is our Canadian experience, and it's valuable to create more and curate more of these Canadian conversations of our experience here in this nation. We can't change our world unless we know (laughs) what we're dealing with, right? Again, I just wanted to say thank you to Compassion. Uh, Of course, I've sponsored Compassion children, several of them for years. It's one of the the highest privileges of my life. And I know that there's no better time in history to come alongside this ministry who's doing such incredible work and uh, purchase a gift from their gift campaign, sponsor a child, or just donate so that they can keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, all over the world in a life-changing way. We're so glad that you joined us today. Stay close to us. Email us at hello at gatherwomen.com. And if there's any way that we can serve you best, please let us know. We're so glad that you joined us today on the Her Influence Podcast. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the Her Influence Podcast. Download and share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Go to gatherwomen.com for show notes, resources, and events in your area. We invite you to join the movement to hear the voices of women represented in equal value and strength in all kingdom conversations, and to see the presence of women in equal value and strength in every area of influence. And now, rise in purpose and influence your world with real voices, bold words, and whole hearts.